Hey guys, just wanted to take a minute and thank you, the listener, for listening and proving you have a growth mindset. Our mission is to curate information from the top influencers around the world. Uh, We provide you with real, actionable steps on how to improve in any area of your life, whether you're an entrepreneur, a C-suite executive, or just starting your journey of self-development. The Professional Development Podcast is all about growth, and you know if you're not growing, then you're dying. If you enjoy the content, please help us uh, by liking, sharing, and telling a friend about the content. We enjoy getting together. And uh... Hey guys, welcome to the Professional Development Podcast. Today is Wednesday, July 7th, uh, and we have on a very special guest today, uh, Josh Sample. Josh is co-founder, sorry, founder and operating partner of Drive Social Media, the visionary behind the company's marketing tech, tech platform, Marketing Milk, contributor to Forbes, agency council, writer, public speaker, Lamborghini lover. Josh, thanks for coming on, man. And, and I think you also forgot to mention that you named this podcast after me. The, the bro, professional. The professional. Yes. Yeah, the professional, 100%. Exactly. Yeah, Josh actually has rights to our podcast, so we figured our we logo, had to have one. Yeah. Our logo <laughs> is, is a picture. Yeah. I get 10 cents every time Matt mentions professional. Exactly. You have a lot of dimes. Yeah. Uh, still don't have any sponsors yet, so if Drive's looking for one, just a heads up. We are available, <laughs> and we will fucking sell our soul. Uh, no, but seriously, thanks for coming on. So um, a lot of people, especially in the St. Louis market, know you. Uh, uh, and uh, what we want to start out here is let's talk about your story because it's really easy to take a look at the Lambos, take a look at Forbes, the Inc. 5000 Awards, and say, well, you know, this guy was an overnight success. But not many people see or have heard the early days uh, where it really started. So give us a background of like, you know, as far back as you want to go back, your upbringing and kind of what led you to where you are now. Yeah, so um, kind of kind of going all the way back, I was raised in South County, middle of South County, raised literally from nothing. Uh, my mom's a single single mother, hairdresser. Dad's from Syria. Um, he bounced back and forth between the United States and the Middle East. Um, so I was raised pretty much by my mom my whole life. But she owned a hair salon. And so when I was really, really young, I realized that you had to actually work to make money. And if you didn't work, you didn't have any money, right? So I didn't ever get an allowance or anything like that. Everything I always had to pay for. And so growing up, I always thought in my head that you just went and started your own business because that's kind of how I was raised. I saw my mom do it. And I never really thought about working for anybody else. Um, flash forward to, to college. Um, I used to do events and promotions for Red Bull during college. I'd travel around between Springfield, Columbia, uh, and all the different college campuses doing events for Red Bull. And uh, I had the idea in my head, it's like, well, I have to do an internship to graduate, right? And I don't know what you guys did for your internships. You guys remember what you guys did for your internships? Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't want to do an internship. So I I cut a deal with my professor and said, if I open up my own bar— as a 22-year-old kid, if I can open up my own bar and finance this, can I skip the whole internship program? And my professor was like, well, that's, that's a really interesting thing. I've never had anybody say that to me before. He's like, if you can get funding and financing, not even open it, I'll, I'll let you skip that. But if you fail at this, you're going to stay an extra semester just to do an internship. And so... I used a lot of my connections, fundraised some money, opened up a small little bar and restaurant, um, and then realized really, really quick uh, how big of a mistake that was, right? As like, I was not built for the nightlife business to be up till 4 a.m. counting money. Um, wasn't where my passion was at. So sold out of that, uh, took a few months off, uh, went to Vegas for a few months, hung out there, uh, and then had one of my buddies call me. He's like, you really just have to kind of come back to reality. And that's kind of when the social media stuff was was starting to really take off. It's like 2012-ish. Um, and so I started really seeing that there's 
a big trend where businesses were going online but didn't really know how to capitalize online. You know, the iPhone really came out in 2008, 2009. So technology was really starting to hit this level where people were on it, but no one really understood what was going on. And a lot of those connections that I made from Red Bull with the All-Star Game, I got to meet like a lot of really cool people. Jim Edmonds and his business partner, Mark Winfield, being, you know, probably two of the first people to take a risk on me. And Jim and Mark approached me and asked me if I wanted to take over their social media marketing, doing all their digital marketing, um, you know, after I got out of my bar and like, hey, do what you did for your place and come do it for us. And I started doing it for them and they introduced me to a handful of other people, Bobby Plager um, and his bar, you know, uh, the late Bobby Plager uh, was a really good guy with Jason Hank and the guys there. And they gave me a shot and they introduced me to a few people. And before I knew it, I had like 10 clients and we were doing, you know, hundred grand a year or something like that. Um, I had a few of my fraternity brothers working part-time for me and it got to the point where I had to hire them full-time. And the thought process was, I pay these guys full-time salaries, and then I don't have any money, I have to move back in with my mom, right? And so I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall, in order for me to get over this hump, I need to get more financing, right? Or physically move back into my mother's house as a 23-year-old guy. And you can't imagine how great that would be for your love life, right? Yeah. Like living in your mom's basement, I'm an entrepreneur. Been there. Uh, yeah, that's right. why Bobby, that's why Bobby yeah. moved up. It can, it can be done, you can still get laid, <laughs> yeah. but it's not ideal. Yeah. The walls are paper thin. Mom's pissed, right? Yeah. Will Ferrell had no problem. <laughs> right. And so I kind of made the decision that it's like if I do this, it's going to take my tank my personal life into the ground. And back then, you know, 2012, entrepreneur was still a dirty word, right? It wasn't cool yet to be an entrepreneur. You were still a loser if you were an entrepreneur. Um, and so I started thinking about this, like, okay, I'm gonna have to get somebody uh, that's dumb enough to give me money and then walked in my business partner, Andrew, right? <laughs> um, you know, what an introduction. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, and I love the guy to death uh, for what he did, but he was very fucking stupid at that point in time to give me half a million dollars. <laughs> um, and I am forever grateful for the guy for it because he saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself at the time. And so I knew this guy, Andrew, and that he was like a pretty big success in the chemical sales industry. Uh, I was talking to him a lot about my ideas and stuff like that and what I was doing. He's like, you know what? Let me come right along with you and just see what you do, how you deal with your clients and how you talk to people. And I went out to a bar, restaurant, gave them the demo on the product. The client signed instantaneous on the spot. I think we were charging like 500 bucks a month at the time for our service, which is nothing. And he saw it and he's like, I'll give you half a million dollars right now for half the company. And I walked away from it thinking like, what a fucking idiot. <laughs> this guy just gave me half a million dollars for a company that only does $100,000. Uh, I'm a genius, right? Yeah. And he's walking away from it thinking, what a fucking idiot. I just got half this company for half a million dollars. Right. Which, you know, you extrapolate it out to, to now, you know, talking $10, $15 million in profit in the bank for him. Uh, so it ended up working out really, really well for him. You know, he might be the most insane person that I've ever met or a genius, uh, one of the two. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so he saw it back then. And so, you know, within the first nine months of owning my company, I ended up selling half of it for half a million dollars, injected 100% of the capital back into the business, um, and used it all to hire people. Uh, one of the best things, though, that Andrew did for me, though, is whenever I was starting this and whenever we became partners, he, he made one, one agreement first, and then he followed up with a second, right? Uh, one, he had one ask, I apologize. First ask, 
you can never talk to your high school girlfriend ever again. She will destroy and ruin your life, right? <laughs> so much that he put this into a contract and was like, you have Are to you sign this. Me? No, this is real. No, this is, this is real. Number one, you cannot talk to your high school girlfriend ever again. She is going to ruin your life and you will be no good to me if your life is ruined and you're sad and depressed. She must have been a good time. Uh, oh, yeah, she, was, she, was, she was a handful. Yeah. And the, the number two was, no matter how much money we make in the first four years, you can never make over what your salary is. You ha we have to reinvest every penny back into the company uh, for the first four years we're in business no matter what. He's like, I don't care if we're making $100 million a year or making $5 million a year or $5 a year. You will not make a dollar more than your salary for the next four years. You will not give yourself a raise. Uh, you will be living off this money for the next four years on what you get. Um, and at the time, I was thinking in my head, I was like, well, this is kind of unfair. Like, I can make this thing turn a profit tomorrow. And he's like, you need to not focus on turning a profit at all, period. You need to focus on scaling, getting bigger, getting more clients, going deeper. Focus on getting units, getting clients, getting employees trained up, building a structure, building an infrasystem instead of lining your own pocket. Um, and it ended up being probably one of the best pieces of advice I ever got as a business owner. And I was actually handcuffed and forced to do it. And looking back on it now, if he wouldn't have done that with me, you know, drive would have probably went a very different direction. Because um, I think that's a big thing that most business owners do is they look at the profit first, figuring out how much, how fast can I make a profit and put that profit in my own pocket. Uh, and it forced me to inject it in the business. Yeah. Would you say that scaling your business, is, you know, just taking that money and hiring people, is that like the key for you? Yeah, because, you know, when you're a small business owner, and you start to get that money and you're like, man, I can go buy something, I can go buy a new TV, I can go do this, I can go on a trip. And as opposed to spending it on a bunch of shit that I didn't need, right, I injected it into the business to buy humans that I needed. Um, because that's what you're doing is you're buying other people's time as opposed to using it as a luxury to make my time better. I used it to hire new talent in and help build out systems, even though I didn't want to uh, at the very beginning of it. You know, and there's a funny story whenever we first started doing this, it was like three weeks in us being partners. This guy comes walking in my, in my door and we get an office. It's like a 500 square foot office or a thousand square foot office. We literally had a golden tea machine and a piss sink. We didn't have a bathroom. We just had a sink <laughs> we peed in um, and two rooms, right? This is real. And this guy comes walking in and it's me and my two fraternity brothers. And this is back, this is how long ago it was. Not puka shell back, but yeah, yeah. it's Bud Light Limes back, <laughs> yeah. right? Like we're pounding Bud Light Limes. It's 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. And this guy comes walking. I'm like, who the fuck are you? And he's like, well, I work here now. I'm like, who, who hired you? He's like, oh, I'm Andrew's uh, sister's, uh, Andrew's, apologize, Andrew's uh, girlfriend's brother. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I was like, what's, what's your experience? He's like, oh, I used to be a Walgreens manager <laughs> up until two weeks ago. I was like, two weeks ago? He's only been my partner for three weeks. And here comes Scott and Heaton walking in the door, and now I've got another employee. And it's like, well, I got to do something with this guy, right? So he really forced it on me that you have to scale outside of yourself. Whether I liked it or not, he was going to ram employees down my throat. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I find that super interesting that you, you did reinvest that. I mean, me and Dan talk about this all the time right now. I'm, I'm in that position in my business, and I, I do try and reinvest every single year but it sucks. It oh, fucking yeah. sucks. You see the money you have sitting there and you want to just 
go do something cool, like buy that Lambo that's outside. But you know, <laughs> it's like I'm thinking five, ten years down the line. So how how did that shake out after your your four year, five year agreement? Yeah. So we we got literally to year four, and I think I sucked like. 25 grand out and I thought I was the richest person on the entire planet. Like I literally went and bought a used Rolex right away, right? Like I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'm actually wearing it today. Like literally went and bought a used Rolex was the first one I bought and that was like what I did the first thing. I was like, I would have just bought knickknacks and fucking toys. Like, you know, if I would have got any of the money. So we did that and then, um, then I bought a used Ferrari like a few months later after that, 2009 uh, for F430 Ferrari. It was a piece of shit. And I went out and bought that car because I was like, I'm going to spend the money now. I'm going to get the money. I'm spending it, yada, yada, yada. So I, then I you know, started splurging with it. But it's really always helped me to stay conscious of how much I draw from the business and keeping our margins in line. You know, I always come from the background of I don't try to cut costs. I try to spend more. You know, when you start getting into cost cutting mode, there's only so much you can cut down to. And eliminating expenses, eliminating payroll, eliminating humans will only make you grow slower. So I've always had the ideology of just throw as much money as you can strategically and smart, right? Uh, But do whatever you can to move faster. Gotcha. When did you make your first million? Uh, When I was 28. So my question is, because there's something like- Million in profit or million in sales? In profit. Yeah, 28. Okay. So um, there's something like it's such an arbitrary number, right? Yeah. Like it's just a, it's a number that sounds aesthetically yeah. pleasing. Uh, it's like you know when you make your first hundred k. Yeah. Right? There's nothing behind it. Yeah. But it's it's there's something cool about it. That so. Um, it's a club. It, yeah, yeah, it's a right? club. It's a club. Right? So my question is, um, what was the point when you knew that you were going to make your first million, and then like. Did your mindset change whatsoever? I think like the point when I thought that I was going to make my first million was the day that I saw a million. Like yeah. I think like leading up to it the entire time, I'm like the, the wheels are going to fall off this thing at any point in time, yep. right? It's like I've always had that mentality in my head is that any point in time, I can get kicked in the nuts and go right back to where I was at before. And I own that mentality, right? I always and forever will think I am just some poor kid from South County raised by a single mom hairdresser. I will always and forever have that kind of mentality. Um, and so I was always so fearful of losing it all. I protected it over and over and over again. And then when good things really happen, I don't celebrate victories even because of it. Like there is no like confetti cannon going off or anything like that um, for any of my my successes or anything like that I've had because I always think that it's like not real, right? Yeah. It's like I'm gonna wake up one day from a coma and I'm gonna be at Barnes Jewish Hospital, right? And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah you've been sitting in a coma for 12 dude. years and you're fat with a beard, right? <laughs> right. It's an interesting mentality to have and it's like almost like, um, like Dan talks about this all the time, right? Like it's it's like the not satisfied, yeah, right? Like it's every, and it's every person that strives to be successful. It's like, once you hit a milestone, it's like, quick celebration, if any celebration, and then it's like, okay, this isn't enough. And it's like, on to the next. And Dan, you've been talking about that a lot, haven't you? Like certain milestones, like you still feel like you're that person that Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's always a chase, right? And I have the exact same thought process. Like I could lose everything, no problem. But what I always reference it back, and and what I'm starting to realize is, hey, I have this skill set now to be able to replicate what I've already done. It might take time. If I if I were to lose everything, I've built a skill set, right? And they, so they say that you're, the first million is the hardest, but the second 
million is inevitable. So easy. And the biggest thing that I the add on to that is the biggest thing I was thinking was you can always turn a loser into a winner, but winners will always be winners. That's right. right? Yeah. No matter what industry you transition to, I don't care if it's beer league hockey or if it's here, if it's here, if it's here, that work ethic will always come through, whether it's on this project or the next project or the next project after that, right? Yep. Yeah, and let's, uh, let's speaking of that, um, let's talk about that work ethic. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on it because I've heard not only from your employees about your work ethic, I've gotten 5.30 a.m. texts from you before because <laughs> I've worked with you before, but I also like, so- Dan I texted you this morning at 5.30 yeah, a.m. <laughs> exactly, yeah, that's what I was referencing. Yeah, but, um, and then even from Drew Foley, you know, like him and I have sat down together and he was like, Josh is an absolute fucking workhorse and I know he would not stop until that company was successful and that's why I wanted to get in business with him. And that's why, like, I was so confident in that company. So talk about like your work ethic and you already talked about a little bit about where you came from, your upbringing, stuff like that. And then let's talk a little bit about like what the fucking work ethic looks right now, like right now in the world of getting out of COVID. Yeah, like I'm telling you, like a lot of the stuff, as much as I joke around about Drew, I owe so much of like a lot of my initial ideology from him because I, I learned it from him. He was like, no, you get up, you're up at work, you're at the office at eight to eight every day, no matter what, you better be at that fucking office working. Um, and, and I didn't understand it back then, but he was just conditioning me to really think and move like that over that four year time period, you know, because he really was like my, you know, my business daddy essentially, right? He's like, no, you're not getting more allowance. You have to do this or you're grounded kind of a thing. Right. Right. Cause he's like, you don't want, you want, you want to make money at for four years. I'll just spend every dollar of it. There'll be no profit left or you're going to follow my rules, right? And yeah. that was one of his big things is that you work until the work is done. Um, and like, he always ingrained that in my head. He's like, eventually you'll get to the point where you'll do a different type of work, but you'll never stop working. You won't be chained to a desk, but you'll do a different type of work. Um, and so I've always just had that ingrained in my head is that you work till the work is done. And when you're, and you, you guys know this, when you're a business owner, the work's never done. Yep. You know, right. there's, it's never done. No, you don't um, clock out. And so like with us, we're so lucky to not be in the Mad Men era, right? Where we're chain smoking cigarettes in the 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s, tied to a landline phone waiting for a client to call. And you got to be there, right? We could be in a beach. You know, I'll legitimately do my meetings still when I'm traveling. You know, I traveled all throughout Europe a couple summers ago, was gone for about a month and a half, and I didn't take off work. I still work the entire time and, you know, from the Costa Rica jungle, I'll literally do Zoom meetings and stuff like that with my team still. Um, I'll always make sure I at least get three or four hours of work done even when I'm on vacation. Um, you just got to do it. Yeah, I'm like that too, especially, and it's hard because my wife, like, sometimes will go on vacation. It's like, you want to break away, you want to sit on the beach, you want to be, be with the kids, but at the same time, if I don't do some work, I get super anxiety kicks in. And oh, it's yeah. like, why am I not working? This is weird and it's hard for me to pause Mentally, do you ever run into that? Oh yeah, like there, there'll just be times. But see, I'm I take the direction of it though. Is like I know I'm going to be like this, so I try to prepare. It's like uh, you know, if I have a girlfriend that I'm with on a vacation or something like that, I'll be like, hey, I got you a spa day. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I'll come up with something for them because I know that I'm going to be disconnected at times, and so I'd rather them not feel that disconnection. And so I'll try to plan something special for them uh, that they can do with a friend that's with us on the trip, or one of my employees that's with us on the trip, or something for them from. Himself, so they don't feel that he's picking my job over me again kind of mm, thing. Yeah. Um, I try to plan that heavily when I go out. Yeah. Uh, speaking of girlfriends, you're obviously super active on Instagram. Um, you own a digital marketing company. It's obvious you like, 
like nice things. Cards, trips, uh, LIV, live down in Miami. Yeah. Um, I saw you were with like Corey Box. Uh, you guys did like Steve Aoki. Yeah. Um, so my question is like all that stuff is posted on Instagram. How many inbound like thirst traps are you getting on a regular basis just by I posting mean, that shit? I mean, it's... It, and oh. do you need a friend to sit there with you and, and receive some of those? I mean, I can just, I'm just going to forward them straight to you. Right? Just, just hit on forward there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because you could see the people that are like genuinely interested and the people that just want to be along for the ride. Yep. And it's like, all right, got enough of them. You know, weirdly enough, I like girls that are pretty nasty and mean to me and don't think I'm cool. You know, like if you talk to my girlfriend, she'd be like, he's the biggest fucking dweeb on the planet, right? He's an idiot. Like, I don't know why anybody's attracted to them. Right. You know, I, I prefer that. Like, yeah, tell me I suck. Right. <laughs> uh, that, that makes me better. Right. Like I don't, most of these girls try to slide in the DMs, like complimenting and something. It's like, I don't, I don't need you to suck my dick via Instagram. Right. I already have employees for that. Right. You know, <laughs> like they're going to tell me I'm pretty and I'm awesome. I'm cool all day, every day. Cause they have to, cause I'm their boss. Yeah. I, I want my girlfriend to kind of hate me a little bit. Right? Yes. That's fucking hilarious. So we have, we have somebody on the show who's actually like had like a crazy story Recently. About, recently, about like a chick. Do you have any crazy stories? Like, has a chick ever put like her finger up your butt or anything like that? Oh, yeah. I, I do have a lot. I do have a, a finger up the butt. Wouldn't be a crazy one. Uh, oh. like, no. <laughs> See, no, Matt, it wasn't just, that bad. Yeah. It's, it's not that yeah. fucking weird, Matt, guys. you just need to loosen up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you just need to loosen up the sphincter. Oh, All right. so she okay. said he would do it again. Um, yeah, no, there's been a, there's been a lot fucking of- fucking Christ. All there's right. definitely been a lot of a lot of crazy ones uh, throughout the times. Um, you know, I had an ex-girlfriend that was actually on a work trip with me. And- and again, we're in a professional setting. We're sitting down with these guys and at the table, I'm not going to mention the, the brand that we were with, but these guys are some heavy hitter franchisees. I'm talking like, fuck you, Rich. Like the old white dude is sitting at the table and he's got the jacket laid over his shoulders. His arms aren't even in the jacket, right? Mm. Like yeah. that kind of rich. Yeah. Like, right? Um, and so it's like, I can't even put my arms in the jacket because that's what poor people do. <laughs> and so we're sitting down here and we're talking about business and work and, and the girl girlfriend I was dating at the time, thank God, it's not my current girlfriend. I love her to death. She's great. It was a girlfriend a few years ago and she's heard so many of my speeches and my talks from conventions and stuff like that. And she just sat through uh, one of my convention speeches that I was doing and it was like 13,000 people were there. And she listened to the whole thing. And so this guy's asking me a bunch of business questions. I'm rapid firing off. Two of my employees are dealing with some of the other people that are at the dinner table. It was like 14 of us. And she just starts interjecting and she's like, looks at the guy dead in the eyes. And, you know, the guy's, you know, probably got 50 or 60 franchises. You know, he's knocking down probably $10 million a year, $8 million a year. And she looks at him, she's like, you don't know who your target market is. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> she's, she's a dental hygienist. <laughs> oh no. And he kind of chuckles it off and kind of brushes it over. And he's like, he's like, oh, you're a good salesperson. She's like, seriously though, how could you ever be successful and not know who your target demographic is? And I'm literally squeezing her leg. I'm like, oh my God, please stop talking. And she's like challenging him. He's like, he looks at her. And he's like, honey, do you think that I know every ounce of all 50, 60, 70 locations I own. I don't even know how many locations I have, like let alone the target demographic for each one of them. And right. she's like, don't you think that's stupid if you're, and I literally had to pick her up and like, I'm sorry, we have to go to the bathroom. Like, uh, we have to leave. Oh I am sorry. God. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, so one of the things I kind of wanted to, to circle back on was, um, well, I guess let's just go with this one. Like, where do you think since 2012, 
starting the inception of Drive, where do you think you've grown the most as a person? We're a podcast that's about like, we're professional development, but we're personal, professional, physical development. Our motto is if you're not growing, you're dying, right? Obviously, besides your bank account, you've grown in a lot of different ways. So where would you say you've grown the most since you started? Honestly, it's like understanding the human condition. And I have a, I have a great employee and you've worked with her as well, Jen Meinhardt. And like I owe the, the outside of Drew, I owe a lot of my success to her uh, and Stephanie. But like Jen's really helped me develop as a person who thinks about the human condition more in a different way. Like not necessarily like everybody's just a whiny bunch of bitches, right? But really trying to figure out how do you help them overcome the obstacles they have? And then if you can't, do you put bumpers on them and try to fix the problem with additional resources? Or do you actually coach them up and coach them out, you know, and help them get a job somewhere else? And so you have an amicable breakup. Um, Whenever I first started Drive, I was so unbelievably butthurt and sour anytime somebody quit, anytime somebody thought anything different. I mean, I was so egotistical with it. And like over 10 years, Jen has whittled away at that with me and really helped me kind of understand like you have to invest in people personally across the board, whether this person is somebody you could relate to or somebody that you can't at all. You have to put as much energy into the people that are just like you at your organization as you do the people who aren't like you at all. Is that why you guys do the weekly continuing education? Yeah. So every every week at Drive, we have about 200-ish employees now between St. Louis, Nashville, Miami, and Atlanta. Um, and we let all the employees tune in from all across the country and just rapid fire ask whatever questions they want to me. Everything from, you know, what kind of hair gel do I use <laughs> to where my favorite restaurants are to like, why do we do what we do? I think you're an idiot. Um, and I, I open up that form with them though, just so they can either A, challenge the ideal ideas that we have and the processes we have so I can explain the backstory behind it as well as give them a direct way to get right in front of me. You know, I always tell people, if you want to move up the fastest, jump right in front of the bus, right? If you have the balls to get in the ring with me and challenge me on why we do something the way we do it and you win, you'll get promoted almost instantly, right? And if you don't, you get fired. No, <laughs> no. If you don't, then we'll figure out like where the gap is. You know, why is there such a disconnect from where our original ideology is to where you're at and then help get that person fixed. And so there's so many times I get on these ongoing eds and people ask the world's craziest questions to me about our processes. And I'm like, that's not right. And I'll dive into it and figure out something got changed along the ways and we have to restructure um, so it's like, it's a two-way street as much as it is a benefit for them. It's a huge benefit for me to understand the pulse of my company. Yep. And something, you've been in business for over 10 years now, right? Yep. So what have been the biggest pivots that you've had to do in that time? I mean, everything from just within the last year with with COVID hitting and and throughout that period, what, what major pivots have you... Yeah, seen happen and how'd you fix it? So like the tech side of things is a really funny story. So the tech side of things have changed drastically without getting too nerdy with the marketing with everything because I know not everybody's a marketing person, but Facebook was originally on a thing called the auto algorithm. You would show everything to everybody. Every piece of content you posted, everybody would see everything no matter what. Well, too many people started getting on the platform. People started posting so much content. So Facebook developed a thing called the Facebook Edge Rink algorithm, which weights your likes, comments, shares, check-ins, pieces of engagement, determine what kind of content you as a consumer want to see the most. And so what it did, though, is it throttled people from seeing 100% of your content down to 10 or 15% of your content. So our original strategy at Drive was to save business owners money, right? And then post so their fans would see it. And that's how we started in 2012 because ads didn't exist yet in the platform. Um, well... 
they put the algorithm in place and then they put ads in place. And so what we would do is we'd post one time a day for all the businesses so that every one of your fans would see a piece of content for you every day, right? Well, when they dropped it, and they slowly dropped it from 100% all the way down to the point in time today where it's about 5 to 10% um, of your total Facebook fans will even see your content um, from your business pages. We're like, okay, we're gonna have to post like 40 times a day to get something in the newsfeed that's not feasible. We can't come up with that. And so really early on, 2014-ish, I made the call to pivot to a 100% pay-to-play strategy. Ads have only been out for like a month, right? And we've been doing non-paid posts now for two, three years. And I pivoted the entire business on a dime. And I remember talking to my business partner about it. And he was like, dude, I have all the employees. We had 30 employees at the time and 20 employees at the time, something like that. He's like, every employee has called me and said, you're absolutely out of your fucking mind. And he's like, just look me in the eyes and tell me you're not going to lose every dollar I've given you. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> right? And he's like, that's not very confident. I was like, this is the only option I see. And, you know, he's like, do it, whatever you think. But understand, though, there's no more money. You fuck this up, you're done, right? You're dead in the water. I'm not financing anything else of it. And we had like 20 to 40% of our staff quit overnight because of it. Like literally Jeez. like, you're an idiot. You're out of your mind. This will never work. Nobody is going to pay for Facebook ads, right? If it's 500 bucks, 600 bucks a month for our management fee, people will pay that. But no one's going to pay us five or 600 bucks plus pay another five or 600 bucks in ads. And so we had all these employees leave because we did this huge pivot on the, on the strategy, which ultimately ended up working out, you know, relatively right. well in yeah. the long run of things, right? And flash forward to now how it is, everything's pay to play, right? You know, our entire business is pay to play and, you know, we're doing over 30 million a year now. Um, so ultimately it ended up working out, but it was a super scary thing to have 40% of the people that you thought believed in you instantaneously overnight be like, you're fucking crazy, Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's nuts. As far as uh, as far as just, I have kind of a follow up question, but just curious on this. Um, you've accomplished a ton in a short amount of time, relatively, right? Uh, is there a legacy that Josh Sample wants to leave behind, or do you have like that Gary V goal of like I want to buy the Jets? No, so deal? we're working right now. Um, we're working on right now. I could kind of foreshadow this. We're we're trying to become the first ad agency on Mars. Oh, that's cool. That's Badass. going to be our new stick. So um, come, come. we're working on all the, the promotional material about it right now, but I'm going to dump over half a million dollars into research on trying to figure out how to become the first ad agency on Mars. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to have your own rover? Yeah, we're trying to figure that out now. Like that's we've awesome. literally been coming up with this like the past few weeks. We're flying down the, the Kennedy Space Center in August um, to start like all the promotional stuff for it. We're meeting with an astronaut down there. We're doing the whole nine yards. Fuck yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And then you guys got some lofty goals, before, I guess, before that could even be possible because you're 30 million now and you want to be 100 million in the next four years, right? Uh, yeah, 100 million in the next four years. And we have the infrastructure to do it right now. Our biggest thing is recruiting is very difficult. Well, we've heard. <laughs> we've heard. Recruiting is a thing, apparently. Yeah. It's very difficult. I, I, that was one of the biggest things that like side railed me as an owner is because before it was always like I post something on Instagram and a bunch of my friends like, hey, I want to work for you. Da, 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 da. And then we just go on, you know, Indeed and start looking for people. And then we start realizing, like, oh, we have 200 employees. You know, at any given time, we have 10% of these people are pissed off, which means 90% of the people are happy. But 10 pissed off employees, you know, you're 
we're talking 10% of your employees are pissed off. That's 20 employees at any given time that are looking for a new job. Mm. And so it just turned into this, this monster thing overnight. And I remember having a conversation about this like two years ago. I was like, I mean, do we really need a recruiter? Now I'm like, I need four, right? Yeah. yeah. And now you realize that just spending $10,000 a month on job boards isn't the answer. Yeah, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. No. What, what, do you, what do you blame the, the poor workforce for? Cresco? <laughs> no, no, not the recruiting oh, side. No, just no, like, no. just like the, the personnel in general. Like, like Biden, like, yeah, Biden for sure. That's I mean, what I was looking for. I mean, people don't want to work. Yeah. So it's like what a lot of people don't understand is like, look how the government handed, handled the PPP loans. If you shut your business down and you did nothing with that entire time period, the government would have paid you more money to do nothing. Whereas like business owners like me, whenever, and this, I'm just speaking my own story. Whenever COVID happened, right? My first reaction was, how are we gonna keep our employees paid? You know, we always keep a good chunk of money in the bank. We always have a month-ish of payroll on hand at any point in time. But obviously COVID went, you know, from flatten the curve two weeks to, you know, we're living this now. And so my first thing is whenever we looked at this, it's like they're talking about two weeks, that's gonna blow through half of our reserves. That's one payroll. We got three payrolls in there. That's gonna blow through one payroll right here, right now from it. If all of our clients stop paying us, we need to instantaneously right now, look at every single client we have who's not gonna be affected by this and figure out what our cash stream is gonna look like. And then we need to go to all the clients who are gonna be affected by this and play let's make a deal, right? Yeah. Uh, you give me one, pay for one month, I'll give you three free. And we did everything in our power to, to keep the business afloat and also then to give relief to our partners. And we ended up giving out almost $5 million of relief-ish to our partners that we worked with over the last two years that this thing's been going on, right? Um, and we gave about $5 million-ish and, and relief to our partners through that way. But my biggest focus was making sure that we didn't have to lay off any employees. Um, because I just think like when you look at what Enterprise did and a lot of these other bigger companies, it just shows you just how much they don't care, yeah. you know, about an individual human being. And it's like, that's a life. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, they might have an employee number, but that person has a wife or a spouse or at least a parent that cares about them or a tree that relies on them to be watered, <laughs> right? There's something that's going on. And a lot of these companies just looked at it. It was like, you know what? We're just going to lay off all of our people. We're going to tell everybody to go fuck themselves. They can go on employment. And, you know, thank God I've never had to be in a position to, to, for me to go on unemployment, right? But that's that's got to be embarrassing. Yeah. No matter the circumstances, whether yeah. it's COVID, you know, or whatever happens to you, that's, that's not a good feeling to put another human being through. And there's so much that businesses could have done to kind of move themselves out of it. And when you look at how the government handled things though, by saying, here's a bunch of free money to businesses to do nothing, absolutely nothing at all, and rewarding people to do absolutely nothing at all, it's gotten to the point now where no one wants to do anything. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And when you say working towards that socialism, baby. Oh yeah. Well, you say it's got to be embarrassing, but the thing is, is like it, initially embarrassing. Yes, but it's become so it had it's become so normal yeah. that and and you know we're social beings, right? So we feed off each other and what everybody else thinks. So if everybody's sitting there joking around, like, well, fuck it, I got an employment. I'm making pretty solid money and we just get to go home and fucking kick it in our PJs, then like that. Well, it's embarrassing if you're the only one, but when it's happening to a mass group of people, yeah. then they're like, oh, this is acceptable. Yes. And now they're in a in a mindset where people aren't showing up to interviews because why Why the fuck should I? Well, know? it's like a lot of people don't understand this, the whole work from home thing. Like all you're doing is empowering your new company, your company that you work for to ship your job off overseas, Yeah. right? If you work from home, why do I care if I pay somebody in the US 
triple what I could pay somebody overseas to do the exact same job, right? You're literally lining your companies up to ship everything overseas. Um, and I think that it, it kind of kills the American dream, right? And I think that's what's going to cause more depression with people and causes more people to be antisocial because they don't have human interaction anymore. Yep. Outside yeah. of that uh, 10% of people that are like leaving you guys like and just finding other jobs or taking unemployment, stuff like that. Obviously 90%, like that's a pretty good number as far as retention yeah. goes. Um, obviously culture is a huge thing as far as that's concerned. Like your, it sounds like your weekly Wednesday calls that you do, that's something that's huge there. Is there anything else that you really accredit the reason that people stay with you guys. Jen, you know, Jen, uh, like she is so great. We have an entire person. So Jen's our chief experience officer and her whole job is to figure out how to make the employees happier and how to figure out how to make the clients happier. So we've created programs that will literally take employees to do things from, you know, go race cars to jumping out of airplanes. You know, we've taken clients and employees skydiving before on their anniversaries to kind of like figure out, hey, how's everything going? Um, not just like, a review where it's like, okay, score of one to five on your performance of this. You scored a five, Sally, right? It's like Jen goes to them like, you want to go jump out of an airplane, <laughs> you know? Uh, you want to go do this really cool restaurant. And she has like a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a lot of those higher-up employees. And then her directors do that with their line-level employees. So that way there's a human element to the review where it's not just a cold one through five. We still do the cold one through five stuff, but you also have to add the human element into it. And every year, we're always constantly trying to figure out, like, how can we elevate the relationship that Drive has with the employee? Not my relationship, but and not Jen's relationship, but their relationship to the company. Um, and, like, right now, we're working on new employee boxes where we're sending uh, these really cool, beautiful, branded employee kits that have, like, two or three hundred dollars of the swag of drive into with handwritten letters from Jen uh, introducing ourselves to the new employees and stuff like that we have carried over to their houses before they start there. And so the idea behind that is whenever they get this box that they're not expecting just full of like cool shit, um, it makes them think about it. It's like, this is what being appreciated feels like. Because a lot of these people are coming from these large corporations that they were just an employee number. Yeah, you know? yeah, and so I've actually, so in my recruiting company, I've actually had a client and uh, the mortgage industry is what we specialize yeah. in. And it was so fucking crazy over the last 12, 18 months, the, the competition between companies trying to grab talent because there was so much loan volume. They just, they would take anybody almost, but one of them was smart. As soon as they made, with the offer, they would overnight a gift box before yep. they could make a decision. And whenever they they got the box, they all, and it would it'd be something like AirPods, whatever, uh, just a thank you gift for, yeah. you know, and they would almost feel obligated to take that offer. Oh, for sure. Over an offer, you know, because, oh, you you gave me a gift. If you're, if you're on the fence, it was always, they were choosing them. Well, and on top of it too, if you think about it, whenever you get something like that, if I would send something like that to you and you then you'd instantaneously go show your wife and your hundred kids, right? And you'd be like, here, look what I got, <laughs> right? And you'd be like, here, look what I got. You know, your wife's going to make it up to you later and you have 17 more kids. Yeah. But you're now <laughs> going to tell your significant other how much you like the company, how much you love the company and all this stuff. So you have an anchor point of happiness with that spouse, 
And everybody at the table knows if your spouse hates the company, you're quitting, yep. right? And if you've, and you're going to vent to your spouse about everything nasty and negative that ever happens to you at work. So now when that person at drive then hits a rough patch, because you will, everybody hits a rough patch in their career. Everybody has ups and downs. And whenever they have an issue or a rough patch, that sniffing other now has an anchor point of happiness. Like you loved this company when you first started, What's happened, right? And hopefully if that person has a realistic partner that can hold them accountable, you know, they can really help troubleshoot that. But a lot of times the spouse ends up being the sounding board for issues, not our HR, not our experience officers or even their managers. It's that spouse. Yep. And so anything that we can do to reinforce that positive connection between drive and that employee instantaneously out the gate and constantly keep doing that and keeping that spouse on our side, right? It, it, it does so much for the relationship for the employee because it doesn't turn into just a, I hate my job bashing session to my wife. It becomes more of a conversation. Yeah. And, uh, and going off of that, like, obviously I agree with you. Like the frontline employees, like keeping them happy is the most important it's thing. It's your future leaders. It's, a future, it's your future leaders, right? And it's the majority of the company. Yeah. Um, but just from like an outside perspective on seeing Drive, uh, I worked with a lot of different clients and there's such a unique dynamic with the leadership there. It's like, it's almost like Mark Wahlberg, like Entourage-esque. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, you just hired your, actually- uh, Oh, yeah, for sure. Like you hired like, but it's like everybody I know there, uh, and I know everyone pretty well at this point, it's like would fall on a sword for you and the company and then- uh, but it's because like vice versa, like anybody I talk to, it's like Josh would do anything for us and it like bleeds through to that stuff. So how did you develop that culture or did you just like call up all your homies and say like, hey guys, I'm hiring? I was literally just uh, a couple weeks ago trying to get uh, a copywriter that works for us down in Miami not to be deported back to her home country, right? Like we paid a lawyer like 10 grand to try to figure out how to extend her visa so she didn't have to go back to her home country. I just think that if you do good for other people, as stupid as it sounds, like karma's a bitch. It boomerangs one way and it boomerangs the other way. And if you're constantly actually really doing the right thing, not just saying you're doing the right fucking thing, right? It's not just changing your icon pride during pride month, right? Or posting a black square, <laughs> like the stupid shit that people do. It's like, you have to have actual tangible action. Don't tell me that the NFL is gay. Show me NFL gay players, right? And so it's like, I really stand behind action and not words. And it ruffles some people's feather because some people's feathers because you know it's very a very direct approach and a lot of people have been conditioned with like the kid glove stuff and so I've just always had it in my head is like I would rather prefer action so I force action around me like right now as we speak our uh, VP of marketing milk our software company he's at an escape room with his employees because they've been working on a big project. I could tell that they're stressed, right? I said, go take them to do something fun they want to do. Yeah. Um, so I just think that you always have to have that that pulse on where they're at with their stress level and how they're managing it. Yep, cool. Um, we got a couple more questions here. So our goal is to, when we do this podcast, uh, we realize our, one of our goals is to just build relationships with yeah. all of our guests. Um, so we uh, have been asking each guest uh, to do something, right? And so uh, like, we're doing a guy we had on named Michael Easter, who was on the Joe Rogan podcast. We're going to go rucking with him at some point. Uh, Connor Beaton was on. He's going to be our shaman when we do shrooms. So 
what I want to ask you is to do shrooms right now with you. No, I actually bought shrooms with me. Mike, can you bring them out? <laughs> no, we already have a guy. Similar, yeah, we already have a show. Like, will you take us all to a Steve Aoki concert and do a bunch of Molly with us? Yeah, we can do it uh, at Alesso on that. Uh, what is it at the end of July? Done. Yeah, I got okay. I got three tables at Alesso. Uh, fuck it. Yeah, Rich, book yeah. that shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, come with us. Perfect. Yeah, Corey's coming. We're in. Yeah, come okay. with us. Seriously, I will. Yeah, we have three tables. hundred uh, percent. We're all in. Yep. Fuck yeah. Get, I'll be there. Run it by the wives and the twelve kids, Dan. Yeah. Leave the kids. Leave the kids. Leave the kids. <laughs> at home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the kids will not make it too well. Yeah. No. Uh, I one hundred percent will go. So, uh, next question is our OnlyFans inquiry. So this is where we give our guests the opportunity. Um, we posted on social media, um, and people had questions for Josh, and this is your opportunity to answer and help yeah. somebody in real time. Let's do it. Okay, Josh. So the question we have is, I have noticed TikTok starting to get name dropped lately. When reading about digital marketing, do you think it will eventually become a must-have for growing businesses like how Facebook marketing is now? I think that TikTok, the problem with TikTok is that they're not Facebook. So Zuckerberg, if you really think about what Mark Zuckerberg has done with Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp app, all the things that he's done, he's never really invented anything. Right. If you think about it, Facebook was just a reinvented MySpace for the cell phone. Yeah. If you remember, MySpace wasn't mobile. There was no MySpace app, right? Because you had to go on, like Matt had to go talk to girls <laughs> in his parents' kitchen with, you know, the CRT monitor, right? And a keyboard that's wired. And like mommy and daddy were cooking dinner and stuff like that while he's talking to babes on AOL. Yeah. And so Miss AIM. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. AIM, Dude, right? that was my shit. I could type something. Messages. 100%. Does it sound good? Delete that shit. You know? Retype it, fucking boom. And so, <laughs> MySpace wasn't available to be on the app yet. It started to decline. Facebook comes out, you know, gets a lot of momentum there. They just reskinned MySpace for mobile apps. And so, if Facebook can't buy you, they will just use you as their incubator, meaning they're just going to figure out how to rip off all your property, right? Reinvent it, make it a little bit bigger, put a Facebook logo on and call it a day. You're already seeing Instagram and Facebook doing this right now with more Snapchat-like features, uh, Snapchat, apologies, more TikTok-like features. Mm -hmm. And you saw what they just did to Snapchat, right? Over the past few years, Snapchat came out super hot. Facebook reinvented themselves, right? Started coming up disappearing messages, disappearing photos, and bada-bing, bada-boom all the buzz died away. Mm -hmm. And so the problem is you have to, the, the only way you could beat Facebook is if you figure out a way that they can't rip you off because he's never invented anything. Right. So I, I don't think so. I don't think that Snapchat will ever, apologies, TikTok will ever become uh, as powerful as Facebook and Instagram has because they have the user base. Good shit. Yeah. Anything else, guys? Steve Aoki, end of July. I'm ready. We're set. Yeah. Josh, we appreciate you coming on, man. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. See ya. Yeah.